You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. I'm your host, Leah. And Sophia. Rainy, rainy days. Mm -hmm. I love the rain, but I'm getting a little sick of it. um how was your week Sophia um my week I feel like the last couple weeks uh I actually took notes amazing let's do it I first want to talk about a warning that garlic will burn the skin off your feet Uh, (laughs) I had a cough for like seven weeks that I was doing all sorts of things to help go away and one of them was garlic and onion on my feet and it really helped it really helped and some garlic is hotter than others and I didn't realize you should, you can leave the onions on all night, but you should only leave the garlic on for 20 minutes. That piece is really important because I had burns on the bottom of my feet. It was horrible. Um, so yeah, I had that check-in. And then also I have been receiving uh, phone calls asking for uh, Dr. Sophia Henderson. And I decided yes. to just say, speaking. <laughs> I got a call from uh, the newborn screen people mm-hmm. and they asked if it was the office of Dr. Sophia Henderson. <laughs> and I said, well, it's a, it's a joint practice. <laughs> um, I didn't say this is Dr. Ritter. Um, it's so weird how like, I, I have no desire to be categorized as that because it would do so different, but it's also kind of like, oh, but then it's flattering. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Ritter. Um, yeah. And then my other update is my son had surgery two weeks ago. And I was surprised um, that it was actually like a lot harder than I thought it was going to be in terms of pain management because he had six surgeries his first year and we just stayed and he was so drugged until we like weaned him and then we went home. But like we just went home that day, which I was really happy about. Like, yes, I don't want to stay overnight. And he was on Tylenol and Motrin and all that, but he was in a more pain than I thought he was going to be in like to the point where I was telling you like I can't come to work today he was like screaming he he, like laughed at his sister and I thought like maybe something ruptured with the way he was screaming so it was just a lot harder than I thought um and he'll go back in two weeks he'll be put under again um he's having a he had a port put in his belly so that we can do enemas from the top down um because of all his bowel reconstructive surgeries um, so, but we were doing enemas through his belly and it's so much better. Mm. And he even is like saying it's so much better. So I'm glad we did it, but, um, but yeah, it's hard. Um, and then, um, yeah, yesterday I went to bliss day spa with a private group and just got blissed out and massaged and it was amazing. And, um, I'm ready for the week now. What was your life like? <laughs> It was a really structured check-in and mine probably won't be as structured. I took notes because I need notes. Yes. Um, what happened for me? Yeah, I mean, I it was it was a bit ago, but um, I had two births in a row and, you know, one of them was just this like beautiful, powerful VBAC. You were there mm-hmm. and I'm just still high from it. Mm-hmm. I guess it was like a month. It was a month ago. Actually. Really? Yeah, I know. It feels like yesterday, but um just like I just love feedback so much mm-hmm. you know and um I feel like we sort of have a few people who just had these really really traumatizing cesareans mm-hmm. and have come back and doing home birth for their feedback and just like it just fills me with so much gratitude for what we do and like the honor of being there um but yeah it was just it was just really so amazing and then um, there was something that was really interesting. We'll talk about on a on a rant podcast, mm-hmm. I guess, about um, tachypnea. But but yeah, just mostly just been mellow with the rain. Um, I had a really fun weekend. Now I went out dancing, which I haven't done for a while, but that was really fun. And yeah, just on call and ready for all the moms we've got. We've got a few we've lined got, up. <laughs> we've got a few lined up. We've got 
one warming up. One warming up right now, which mm -hmm. is very exciting. But yeah, I'm feeling really good. And yeah, yeah, nice. And I'm very excited for the interview today. Yes. Um, we are welcoming back Dr. Jen Sanders. <laughs> we can all talk to the doctor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll link your first episode in the podcast. Um, and wait, were there two? We've done at least two interviews. I think I've done two. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we did it's the time one too. Like, you're our regular. I've, yeah. I've had a couple people come in and they're like, I heard you on um the podcast. And so I wanted to see you. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so famous. <laughs> people listen. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are getting famous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like the tongue tie one is just solid yeah. gold. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. And yeah. I've just used so much of the stuff you talked about in the practice. Mm -hmm. And you know, like all our clients see you. So, <laughs> basically. So yeah, but today we get to talk about a really fun topic, ultrasounds. Yeah. So, but maybe we'll give it to you to just in case this is somebody's first time meeting you. Um, you can give a like a little introduction about yourself and then we'll dig in. Cool. Um, so I'm Dr. Jen. I am a chiropractor. Um, I'm one of the owners of Acorn Chiropractic Club. We have an office in Napa, Santa Rosa, and Petaluma. We specialize in the perinatal period and pediatric care. So we've done a lot of advanced training in prenatal care and pediatric care. We also incorporate um, something called dynamic body balancing, which is a variant of craniosacral therapy. Um, and uh, the inventor of dynamic body balancing was actually, uh, is my mentor, Dr. Carol Phillips, and she was the inventor of the sideline release for the inversion um, and a whole bunch of other stuff spinning babies still uses today. So pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So where did your education around ultrasounds begin? Was it in school? Um, well, so my education began, um, my dad was a chiropractor who used ultrasound therapeutically in practice. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to be like, I, I think it was like at 10 years old, we were allowed to start helping in practice, like in his office on people, like working on people, like with like doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So every once in a while he would be like, Hey, do you want to do ultrasound? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Um, and so we would go in there and he taught us like how to do it and all the safety and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and then throughout my teenage years, I was just, I, that's one of my jobs in his office was to do ultrasound on people. And one day there was a lady that we had been doing ultrasound on, um, pretty much every time she came in and she came in and told my dad, like, Hey, I'm pregnant. And my dad was like, oh, great. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Um, and then I said, like, oh, are we doing ultrasound today? And he was like, no, you, you can't do ultrasound on pregnant people. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, how does that even make sense? Um, so, so then going through that and kind of like asking my dad, why is that that you can't do ultrasound? And he's like, well, one is therapeutic and one is diagnostic. And I was like, yeah, but what's the difference? And he's like, well, one is hooked up to a visual machine and the other one is not. And I was like, yeah. And there goes into like the differences, like, you know, hertz and megahertz that are used with it. But ultimately I was like, that doesn't really sit right with me that it's actually a contraindication to do ultrasound, therapeutic ultrasound when you're pregnant. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. So with my first son, we got pregnant, did not, we were trying not to get pregnant when that happened <laughs> and, and, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened. So, um, my son was born two months before we started chiropractic college. So, uh, but when I got pregnant, um, I was like, I don't want to do any ultrasounds. And my husband was like, well, why not? Like, it seems like that's just what you do in prenatal care. And I was like, I just, it doesn't sit right with me that it's a contraindication for therapeutic ultrasound, but it's perfectly fine for diagnostic ultrasound. I'm like, there's something to that. And so I started looking it up. And at the time, um, 
at the time, this was in 2010, or I suppose 2009, because I was pregnant. Um, so in 2009, the um, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said, you know, do not use ultrasounds um, like for anything other than diagnostic medical purposes. And that was like plainly stated. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. So why, if there's no risk, there's no adverse effects at all, why would they come out and say that? So that kind of like furthered my um, kind of questioning whether they were really safe. Um, and then I went through chiropractic college. So I didn't really, uh, well, so we went through my whole pregnancy, um, didn't do any ultrasounds. And the first, my first due date was given March 5th and, um, based on palpation and measuring and all of that. Um, but I didn't see somebody until 24 weeks after I found out I was pregnant. Um, so I didn't do any like really early on prenatal care. Um, cause I was like, well, what do you do? Well, you just kind of wait. And I think that that's something that we've kind of lost, um, trust in the body <laughs> and we've lost, like, there's not really, if you're denying all of these like ultrasounds and all this, like, there's not really a whole lot that you're going to do in prenatal care. I mean, you guys, you know, might well, be stepping on. COVID really showed that because they yeah. were dropping people's appointments and doing zoom things. Right. Like, okay, if it was right. really that important, yeah. you know, right. so exactly. families like your prenatal care is what you do in between our appointments, you know, exactly. And that's right. And it's not to say, um, you know, like, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, go, <laughs> go to Leah and Sophia, like, that's not, you know, but like, there's not a whole lot that's going to be done, because like, education is really key. But I was doing that on my own, like I was going through the stuff and I was, and I had full trust in the body and, um, and then we were in a car accident and, um, two days after the car accident, I started bleeding. So I was like, okay, we're, we need to go see somebody. So we went out to, um, I suppose he was my, I hadn't seen in, you know, 15 years or whatever. Um, and I went out to him and I was like, Hey, I'm having, you know, bleeding like I haven't seen anybody for my pregnancy yet and he's like all right well we're gonna do an ultrasound and I was like mm, no I don't want to do an ultrasound and he's like well that's just like standard and I was like yeah but like I don't want to and he was like well you know we need to be able to tell that the baby's okay and I was like yeah but I'm at least 24 weeks because I had found out that I was pregnant 24 weeks ago and I was like so can we just listen with a fetoscope and he like looked at me like I was like, nobody uses a fetoscope anymore. Right. And I was like, right, but you're old enough to have learned how to use it. So, like, um, so I was like, just do the fetoscope, see if there's a heartbeat. That's really like all that I, you know, am interested in right now. And so immediately, you know, everything was fine. Um, he, he checked it out and he gave me the due date of March 5th. Um, based on measuring and all that. And so then um, I hired my midwife, she came in and she was like, I think it's more like later March. Like, she's like, you're measuring and my measurements then were consistently pretty small. Um, and she's like, you're measuring way later. Um, so then she gave me the date of March 31st. Ultimately he was born April 22nd. Um, so, <laughs> So I don't know, maybe I was like 44 weeks pregnant, whatever. I don't know. Um, I don't think so. Once he was born, um, you know, they did like all of his gestational like measurements and stuff. And like his femur, I remember was like 38 weeks, but his chest was 40 weeks. His vernix looked like he was like 40 weeks, you know? So she was like, I, he's doing exactly when he was born. Like no yeah. problems. Yeah. Um, but we did um, a few weeks before he was born um, at one of my last prenatal appointments. She was like, I think he might be breached. And I was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, does that change how labor and delivery goes? And she was like, yeah, because, you know, basically um, it, it'll kind of depend on like how he's born. Now, um, this was 
a time where, you know, my, my parents were like, all right, well, he's breached. So you'll just have a home birth and a breech baby. And my mother-in-law was like, wow, she's a big dairy person. And so she, she works on a dairy and she owned a dairy and she was like, well, cows are born breech all the time. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I definitely had the support of my family just being like, yeah, this is just a normal variant and no problem. What year was this? This was 2010. So it was legal. So it was legal because it wasn't yes. 2014 that midwives right. had to go underground. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so um, my midwife asked, you know, she basically said, like, it's just easier breech births tend to start labor really early on, you know, and you tend to be in labor for a long time. Uh, like your water like breaks. Gestational or? No, 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 sorry. Your water breaks early. Oh, I see. Okay. And then you just kind of hang out and then typically contractions will start later. She's like, so it just, uh, you know, kind of gives me a good idea um, if you could just go get an ultrasound just real quickly. And so I went in and the guy was like, all right, you get to see your baby. And I was like, I don't even want to see my baby. Like, I just want you to tell me if there's a head or a butt. Like, that's all. And so he like put the wand on and he was like, yeah, there's a head. And I was like, all right, take it off. We're done. And like, and that was it. And I was like, all right. And so, um, and, and at the time I was not a chiropractor. I was seeing a chiropractor for the Webster technique. I was doing the spinning baby stuff. And that little boy just did not want to flip. Um, so he, he stayed head up. Um, I did my, my, my breach experience was just absolutely amazing. He was uh, double footling. So he came out feet first, um, start to finish my labor. Any indication that I was in labor start to finish was three hours. So yeah. we called the midwife. We heard about footling breaches. Um, what? I said, do you want to hear what we learned about footling breaches? Yeah, I was told my daughter was a double footling breach and I talked to, we did a workshop with Dr. Stu and uh -huh. I kind of wanted him to like dispel a bunch of myths I had grown up hearing about breaches. And one of them was that a double footling breach or a footling breach is, is like the most dangerous because there's more room for like the cord to prolapse and also that um, you aren't dilated fully and you know, yeah. it can be entrapped. And he said that unless you're severely preterm, that it's not possible for you to have a footling breach because a true footling breach is a baby whose hips are not flexed. They're like in a full standing position. Yeah. It's not actually possible at full yeah. term. And yeah. Breaches I've seen, like when I've we've had we had a surprise breach a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and we saw a foot, like the leg came out. Yeah. But but it wasn't standing straight up. Yeah, they were tight. There yeah. were like complete breaches yeah. where the yeah. foot exactly. presents. And her. so, like thinking about yeah. it, talking to midwives, it's like, yeah, it's not. It's just not. Well, possible. possible. <laughs> and yeah, the reassurance that you get is that because they're not extended, like in a standing position, they do dilate the cervix with their butt. Right. And, and they're exactly. Nice. So he's like, you actually probably like dilate better, you know, or more. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So he gave us reassurance that like that is not a situation that you would probably find yourself in at full term, which was reassuring. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think it, I think the difference, you know, I mean, basically that's always been my question is with a complete breach is what's the presenting part going to be? Cause it's typically, I mean, just by the nature of the complete breach, typically it seems like the feet would just automatically come out first, although they could come out like tucked together and butt and feet together, but no thanks. Um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, than a head. Yeah. No evidence yeah. of cervix not being dilated. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, by the time the midwife got there, I was, I was fully dilated and she was like, Oh, okay. She almost missed it because she was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be a while. It was not. Um, he came out totally like he did come out like feet first, um, in a little pencil dive. Um, but I get what you're saying, like not standing in utero. Um, but that, that was, that was my experience. And there was a little bit of like humility that I, cause I had touted the whole time. Like I'm not doing any ultrasounds, no way, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there was, um, 
my midwife sat down with me and was like, hey, it would be better if we um, knew if baby was breached or not, you know, just for labor delivery. Um, and so, so she said, you know, like, but, you know, obviously that choice is yours, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, ultimately, like, I'm making the choice to birth at home breach. I would much rather have all of the information and be prepared because I wouldn't want a foot coming out being like, what is that? You know, like, <laughs> um, so, so then I got into chiropractic college. We went through chiropractic college and in one of our last quarters of chiropractic college, we had to write a paper and present it to our teacher who was, he was just mean. He was um, a public health official for the city of Berkeley. And he would basically have students write these papers about public health issues. And he would have you go up there and present the topic. And then he would just tear you apart. So in chiropractic college, generally speaking, chiropractors tend to be more holistically minded, sort of um, not with the mainstream on like vaccines and circumcisions and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, we tend to be a little more granola. And so she did that. Uh, or so, so I said, I want to do my paper on, on prenatal ultrasounds. And he's like, well, that's not a public health concern. And I was like, oh, I disagree. Um, and let me, and let me show you why. Um, and I presented my topic. He didn't love it because, you know, I mean, I think it was challenging, him, mm -hmm. but everything was researched. It wasn't just like, I feel like this isn't a great thing. It was like, no, this is actually what the research is saying. And we really should be looking at the research. Um, and it's funny to take research, like medical research in like the New England Journal of Medicine and be like, hey, this is what the research is saying in that. What do you say, have to say about that? And they're like, oh, well, we've never heard about that. And I'm like, it's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> right. It's like using, using research that they consider gold standard, like, okay, here you go. Um, and so I wrote my paper. Um, the three people who presented right before me like left screaming and crying, like, because he just like tore them apart, like to their very essence of their being. And I was like, all right, I'm next. Yay. So I get up there and I'm like, all right, so this is why I'm concerned that it's a public health issue. Um, and he was like, all right, that was fine. And I was like, okay. Like, and I just sat down and I was like, wow. And that was the nicest thing. Like everybody in my class was like, that is the nicest thing I've ever heard him say to anybody. And I'm like, okay. Like, they were like that, that was fine. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. So I was like, all right. Um, <laughs> so we needed to look into it. Um, so I, part of my paper, I found um, one of the research um conversations was from this guy, Dr. Toms. And he said that practitioners of fetal ultrasound operate on a Titanic mentality. Safety is assured, therefore precautions are unnecessary. I would be happy to be proven wrong. And I was like, wow, that is a really like very <laughs> direct. <laughs> um, because ultimately at the end of the day, I'm saying maybe ultrasounds aren't the safest. Are they sometimes necessary? Yes. And are most people going to get in a car accident, have vaginal bleeding and choose to do an ultrasound to make sure everything's okay? Yeah, probably. Um, so I don't want anybody to feel guilty or wrong or like their decision is, um, the wrong decision based on this, but it's also something where it's not, it's not a passive thing. It's not something that should be taken lightly. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that too. Um, there are different types of ultrasounds when it comes to pregnancy. Um, there's fetal ultrasounds um, or the prenatal ultrasound that we see, the diagnostic ultrasounds that we see like on the screen and you get to see the heartbeat and you get to, you know, whatever. Um, and they can do that transvaginally with a wand into the vaginal canal, or they can do it on, um, on the abdomen. 
The other one is a Doppler, um, hearing the baby. Um, and Can you say that one more time for the people in the back, because I don't think a lot of people have been told that it's the same. Yes. <laughs> the Doppler? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the Doppler does use ultrasound to listen to the heartbeat. That's how it works, is it creates reverberation back, and you're actually getting the rever rever reverberation from the machine to kick back the sound of so it's not like a fetoscope where a fetoscope you're sort of just listening and it can go through the different tissues and you're hearing the sound you're amplifying the sound the doppler is actually using ultrasound to go push back and and hear back so it's kind of like an echo from the sound that it's creating from the doppler and if you know this is it true that Doppler is more powerful than ultrasound. My understanding and what I've always mm -hmm. told families <coughs> five minutes of Doppler, which we don't typically do that long, but five minutes of Doppler is equal to like a half hour of ultrasound. Um, mm -hmm. Is that Visual. accurate? Yeah. How, how yeah, because so there's a difference between there's pulsed ultrasound which um, is what is used typically with the um, picture ultrasound. So it'll ultrasound and then it'll take a break and then it'll ultrasound and it'll take a break. And it puts all of that information and makes a video. Although it is, I mean, you can see the baby move on the ultrasound. So it's not like, it's like a fast flip book as opposed to a slow flip book. You know, like that pulse is pretty chopped up. However, the Doppler is continuous ultrasound. So it's constantly monitoring. And so there's no pause in the middle. Is electronic so, needle monitoring the same as Doppler? Like where is that on the scope? Yeah. So that's very similar to Doppler. Okay. More so. Yeah. So yeah. And then fe fetal heart monitoring, um, where they put the strap on the belly, typically in the hospital, um, that is again, another form of ultrasound. Those all have potential question marks um, and should be thought of as a medical intervention. It's not the same as, you know, if I take a picture of you, you know, it's like, I don't know, even that gets a little weird. But if I take a picture of you, we can see that that's somewhat passive, right? Um, the ultrasound, there are questions that we should be asking. Um, one of them, and I can share this link with you, um, CNN actually ran a little piece in 1985. So the video is pretty old, but it is on YouTube and I'll share it with you and then you guys can put it in the description or whatever. Um, but at the time that this ran on CNN, it said that there were no double blind safety studies that had been done with ultrasound. Um, and we're talking 38 years later, and that's still the case today. So what happened, and we have to look at the history of ultrasound, um, is from the 50s to the 70s, we took x-rays on pregnant women. And we were looking to get information about the baby on the x-ray. And then what they came out in the early 70s, they started realizing that the x-ray in the baby actually was causing different types of cancers, leukemia um, and other various cancers. And so then they said, oh, well, we can't do x-rays on pregnant women. Well, we have to have diagnostic imaging. So immediately without any safety studies being done, we started doing ultrasound and we said, oh, well, it's just sound waves. Well, x-rays are just light waves, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, so um, the, clip on this talks about bioeffects when they do ultrasound on mice there are bioeffects or bio alterations on 10 generations of the mice so if you do an ultrasound on one mouse for the next 10 generations there's going to be altered bioeffects whether those bioeffects are good or good or bad that's up for us to decide but we'll talk more about that in a minute too um, what we also, and then in the early nineties, the FDA deregulated ultrasound and it's still deregulated today. 
So what that meant is that we got to have a rise of vanity ultrasounds or non-diagnostic ultrasounds or more intense ultrasounds. And that's where we get into our 3D ultrasounds and our 4D and our HD live ultrasounds and that kind of stuff. And every step of those ways, we remove the pulsed ultrasound and we go more a continuous, which is more intense. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, in the the FDA decreasing uh, or increase the allowable allowable intensity for prenatal ultrasounds, and that's also what kind of led more to the 3D, the 4D, the HD um, ultrasounds. So because they deregulated it, people are like, all right, well now more is better, right? We can see the baby's nostrils more, and it's like, oh my gosh, okay. Mm -hmm. Do we necessarily need to? Um, and then the New England Journal of Medicine did a large study of 15,000 low-risk pregnant women who participated in a randomized controlled study to determine whether ultrasound screening decreased adverse prenatal outcomes. This study demonstrated, and they've done this repeated, they've repeated this study, but this study demonstrated that among low-risk pregnant women, ultrasound screening did not improve perinatal outcome. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't improve the outcome, okay. <laughs> um, that's also something to consider. Um, the other thing that happened is, and it was known that it would also increase the cost of the whole pregnancy care. And of course, this is 1993, and now we're seeing the effects of prenatal care being an astronomical expense to have a baby in this country now. Um, and part of it is that ultrasounds, you have ultrasounds, if you are, I haven't looked at the last statistic most recently, but the last time I was reading it, the average woman has six ultrasounds per pregnancy. And that's just diagnostic. That's not including Doppler or um, fetal heart monitoring during labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So the average woman is having six, which means, you know, I had one for 30 seconds, um, but somebody else then had to have had, you know, 11 for that to <laughs> come out. Um, I, when we have late to care transfers with moms, it's yep. fairly common for them to have had an ultrasound at every visit. Yeah. Every prenatal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why I think we're saying six, but I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah. One of my chiropractors in my office went to a prenatal appointment and they were like, well, if you don't want an ultrasound, we have nothing to offer you. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, wow, like that's not even true, but okay. Like, and with non stress testing, I mean, it used to I be like thinking that. 41 weeks and three days, they'd start saying, oh, you should come in for an NST. And now, I mean, just across the board, look, I mean, if you're 35 and four days, you're yeah. old, you know, mm -hmm. you get yeah. starting at like 36 weeks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every week for low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just money. What can we build yeah. for? How many things can we build yeah. for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that ultrasound does, the reason that it works for therapeutic purposes is it increases heat to the tissues and it increases heat and it penetrates deeper through tissue. So it's not superficial. So when we ice something, for example, when we put ice on it, we're icing like the top few layers. When we use an ultrasound, it's a deeper heat that's able to penetrate more than if we were to use like a hot pack just on our body. Um, so tissues absorb the energy and temperature rises whenever exposed. During the first 10 weeks, ultrasound, the ultrasound beam is exposed to every cell in the embryo. So the other issue that we're coming, that we're seeing is that if, it, it's almost it's almost near impossible at this point to do a double blind study on people who have had ultrasounds versus people who have not had ultrasounds because if your mom had an ultrasound and you are female then your ovaries were ultrasounded <laughs> so the effects of your baby are still 
long lasting. And we can see this. I mean, if we look at medications um, like diethylstrobesterol, right? That or DES, that was given to a pregnant person to avoid a miscarriage. And ultimately the, the daughter of that person taking it would have deformed uterus. So we can see that this happens in medicine. It, it's not, this shouldn't be so out of the question that it's possible to cause issues. Um, the other thing is in later, later pregnancy exposure around the skull increases heat to the brain as the bone magnifies the thermal effect, which continues long after exposure. So it holds the heat for a long time too. And that's one of the things, that's why ultrasound actually therapeutically has a lot of benefit um, because of that deep penetrative heat. Um, although when we're doing that on, on babies, it's, you know, maybe not the best <laughs> idea. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is contraindications for ultrasounds for us, like as chiropractors, when we're learning in school, contraindication for pregnant, for ultrasounds is pregnancy and then over any open orifice. So eyes, ears, mouth, anus, vaginal canal, anything like that, you're not supposed to ultrasound over, um, which if you're ultrasounding a, an embryo, you're ultrasounding everything. Um, um, the other thing that can happen is the formation of gas bubbles, and those are called cavitations in, um, in the embryo. And what can ultimately happen is those can burst afterwards, creating like a tidal wave, but also increasing the risk of like different things like stroke um, and um, stuff like that with the baby as well. Um, one of the other things is to look at the false positive rates. This is a little like um, excerpt I'm gonna read from my paper that I had written. It says, of course, prenatal ultrasounds have great benefits. They do, I'm not gonna deny that. Um, they can detect congenital problems which give parent a choice to terminate the pregnancy or in some cases perform intrauterine um, surgery to correct the problem. However, with these credible, incredible leaps medical professionals make, it is important to look at the false positive rate of, a diagno uh, of diagnosing abnormalities. Screening ultrasound does not, um, screen, and so this is a quote, screening ultrasound does not, Statist, uh, no, does not significantly improve outcome in terms of perinatal morbidity per, uh, or mortality um, in the infant or the mother. Other research in states, screening ultrasound does not improve prenatal outcomes on the basis of clinical judgment. What research has shown is that routine ultrasounds improve for, um, Routine pro uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, routine prenatal uh, provide a better gestational age assessment. Yeah, early detection of multiple pregnancies, so twins, triplets. Yeah, and detection of fetal malformation in some cases. Studies suggest routine prenatal ultrasounds have not been shown to improve ultimate fetal outcome. In this trial, 2.4 per thousand pregnant women in the scanning group were unnecessarily disturbed by false diagnosis of malformed fetus, which turned out to be normal. In comparison, 2.7 per thousand pregnant women were preserved from delivering a malformed baby. This would mean that in this study, if an expecting mother was told that her baby had an abnormality, there was a 50-50% chance, 50-50 chance that that was actually the case. In a situation as this, often the price of a misdiagnosis is termination of the pregnancy or at least unnecessary stress on the mother. So, what we're saying in English, what that means is that when they looked at, they did a large study and what they, oops, and what they found was that about half the time that they were told, hey, there's a congenital malformation, it turned out that that wasn't actually true. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, we see this in our clients too. Yeah. 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 There's like two weeks of stress and then luckily right. they find out that everything's fine and there's right. like more drastic than that. But yeah. It's right. and, and this is the problem that I have with prenatal ultrasound in general is we're taking diagnostic mentality for adults or even children that are born um, and we're taking those same principles and we're applying them to a developing fetus. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is if we took an ultrasound and zoomed really close in and we saw that at six weeks, I don't know, I'd have to go back, but at six weeks, the baby had no arms, right? Well, of course not. The baby doesn't have arms at six weeks, you know? Um, and I'm also not trying to use triggering language, embryo, fetus, whatever you want to call it. I'm just for non-complicating circumstances. I'm just saying baby. Um, but if it had no arms, we wouldn't like, oh my gosh, this is so, uh, you know, abnormal. Well, of course not, because there are stem cells. The baby is developing at such a rapid rate. So I also don't necessarily think that the false positive rate is wrong. I think what's happening is we're seeing it that day, the baby then grows more brain or more whatever. And then we go back two weeks later. Oh, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But the amount of cortisol that has been dumped into that baby from that mom, the amount of, you know, what will also happen is disconnection that that mom is going to start to feel from that pregnancy. That to me is the real crime of it all. You know, that to me is, is so is, is the really wrong part. And, you know, so this, this study came out and immediately after this, after I wrote my paper, one of my best friends called me and she's like my childhood best friend, basically my sister. Um, she was like, Hey, um, I went to my 20 week ultrasound and the baby, the brain is not developing the way that we would want it to. And so I am choosing to terminate. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and so I said, listen, go back and ask your OB because I'm pretty sure that there's not a lot of difference in terminating a 20 week pregnancy as opposed to a 22 week pregnancy. And so I said, go back and ask them if they'll just give your baby two weeks. And my friend was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't, you know. And I said, look, this is like my nephew. <laughs> and I can't make you do the right thing. And I you're the right thing. I said, I can't make you do what I want you to do. Um, and I said, I'm gonna love and support you through whatever you choose is right for you. But please look at the research. Please understand that it's possible. We're dealing with a moving target. We're dealing with something that is developing. And and she was like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll go. I'll, I'll wait. And so she went back two weeks later, and they were like, oh, the baby's brain grew. And I was like, well, no shit. The baby is developing. <laughs> you know. And I was like, you know, and that's not always the case. And I, you know, again, if somebody's listening and that wasn't the case for you, you know, I don't hold judgment on choices that you make, but I want you to be informed in the choices that you do make. And so yeah, for my friend had said that to her, like we right. could terminate or we could give it a few weeks, you know, and just right. like, women, right. are, they're not being given and, and, all the yeah, options. Admitting that right. they're yeah, that they are right. all knowing, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. right into the possibility that it's not a perfect thing. Mm -hmm. right. I got that question a lot after my son is born with like a lot of birth defects, not right away, but people asked if I wished I had done an anatomy scan so we could have like known some things. And I was like, maybe my answer would be different if he had like died or something like that. But I'm so glad I didn't know because I had yeah. a beautiful home birth and a pretty stress-free pregnancy. Like, I'm glad I didn't know, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that's not the case for everyone. Some people want right. to know. Um, right. But yeah, I was grateful that I didn't know. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of, I, I mean, that's, that's also part of it is you were able to go through a beautiful pregnancy, connect with your baby. So by the time Ben was born, you already in love with Ben you know what I mean like you met the love of your life that day and then you were like okay well now we have to deal with 
all of these situations. Yeah. But um, uh, the American. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was I was gonna say um, my my brother when his wife was pregnant they went into Kaiser for um, an early ultrasound and my mom and dad had guessed guessed our sexes me and my brothers based on the heartbeat so they were like it's a hundred percent you know like we're right every time because we did it for three um and um so my mom of course was like what's the baby's heartbeat because she wanted to try to guess and my brother said they actually didn't do the baby's heartbeat at that appointment because they said new research is showing that when we do ultrasound on um like, you know, the embryo that they're more likely to develop heart defects until like a certain point, then it's like safer. And I remember right. being like, that's awesome that they're learning right. that. And why does it only apply to the heart? Why does it only apply to like the beginning stages? You know, like, couldn't right. this, like, are we going to find yeah. out in two years or five years that it actually is affecting the whole embryo, not just the right. heart? Yeah. Right. Well, we already know that, but I'll continue. <laughs> 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 so I have, um, I have a question and also just yeah. a little rant about ultrasound and, and um, here's your mic. Thank you. When I, you know, and this is when I talk to people in my life who will listen to me again about birth um, or clients is like, you know, there's just not a great history in gynecological and obstetric care for women. There's, yeah. you know, there's, well, admit it that I can't pronounce it. You know what I mean? Mine. Yes. I didn't even know um, what you were trying to say. DES, x-rays, I mean, you know. Apolamine, you know, all of them. Personal favorite is when they used to tell women to do douches with Lysol. Oh my God. Yeah. Or for example, to smoke cigarettes, to have smaller babies. And this was right. like, trial and error, you know, totally. <laughs> so when people are so shocked that you would question, right. routinely done and told that it was safe. <laughs> there's this disconnect mm -hmm. right happens. and we all do it in different areas of our life I assume but like mm -hmm. this area in particular is just it's just so shocking and did you have ultrasounds in your pregnancy so with my first daughter I did and and I did too with both so I just wanted to frame that we're not yeah like, we didn't you shouldn't either like I did like one with each of my children like so it's not about you shouldn't be doing this. It's about like having Choice. all the information yeah. so that when you right. choose it, you go, I feel like this is necessary for yeah. me, you know? Yeah. Right. No, with, yeah. with my first daughter, I had probably three, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I did the early ultrasound. I had an extreme amount of anxiety about miscarriage mm -hmm. with yeah. her. Um, and so I was like counting the seconds until that ultrasound mm -hmm. to see the heartbeat and mm -hmm. it was you know at right. first I didn't see it because I was like six and a half weeks and I was like falling like it was very emotional so I'm right. really grateful for that ultrasound yeah you know? and um yeah so I I did that um when I had my 20-week ultrasound they told me that I was going to have to have a cesarean because my placenta was you know, low lying, low lying mm -hmm. or whatever. And the tech just very flippantly said, Oh, you're going to have a, you'll need to have a C-section and like making notes. And I of right. course, home and was hysterical. Um, <laughs> and then went back in a couple of weeks and it had totally moved and right. now I had a vaginal birth. Um, yeah. And with my second, um, I didn't have any ultrasounds at all. Yeah. And I only used the fetoscope. We used the Doppler in labor, but my midwife got there about 15 minutes before she was born. So I think yeah. we listened like one time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like you just don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. So my question is about sound because yep. like, I noticed with my first daughter during the follow-up ultrasound for the possible previa, it really looked like she was covering her ears. Yeah. Like it yep. looked like she was like having not convulsions or anything, but she was having yep physical reaction it's like they run from it to the mm -hmm. ultrasound yeah. and I remember and they call that the ultrasound wave they're not waving they're trying to hide themselves from it yeah, yeah. when they're like oh because we they're being hurt <laughs> yeah we're up by the face mm -hmm. so yeah. like they hear like it's loud for them is that right yeah like, have an, a reaction to that yeah so one of the things is like that they say um, they're, they've quantified it and said that it's similar to a, you standing down in like a subway platform and a subway, um, rushing by you at like 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. It's about that many decibels. Um, now 
that has been questioned to be like, well, is that really, is it really that loud? Is it really? And what they have shown over and over again is that, um, that yeah, it's, it's loud because the other thing that happens is ultrasound is not just sound waves. When it has to go through embryonic tissue um, or um, amniotic tissue, I mean, amniotic fluid, um, it then also becomes a mechanical wave. So it's, it, it also, yeah, you can hear it. That's why if you stick your head in a pool and they're doing ultrasound, you can hear it underwater. Um, um, but you can't hear it. If you hold an ultrasound machine up, you're not, you know, you can't, you can't hear it, but it's through that water that you then can hear it. Yeah. Um, the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine says that ultrasound is a form of energy that affects tissue it transverses, meaning tissue that it passes through. Therefore, its use should be restricted to medical indications by trained professionals for a short period of time, as low intensity as capable with accurate diagnosis. So that's the that is the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine saying, hey, let's just reserve this for medical use and let's try not to do those 3D therapy. Let's just take as much information as we can get. I think um, all the pocket dopplers that women are just like buying yeah. online now and just like listening. Right. right. And that's, you know, that's it is there's, those can be um, and then they also said that there is still there still remains a lack of knowledge regarding bioeffects of ultrasound and safety issues. So that's the journal or that's the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine. Um, so the big one that really was an aha thing for me and like I might be like getting my tinfoil hat out here. Um, <laughs> Whatever um, was Dr. Eng, A-N-G, did a study um, where they looked at the, um, it says the, the neurons of the cerebral neocortex in mammals, including humans, are generated during fetal life in the pluripotive zones and then migrate to their final destinations by following an out, out, to out uh, inside to outside sequence. So basically as the brain develops, you have neurons that are supposed to migrate to the proper cortical layer. And that gets really into like neuroanatomy and all that, which I don't really, uh, doesn't seem appropriate for a podcast like this, but, um, but basically as the brain develops, your neurons are gonna migrate and, and be at those specific cortical layers. Um, what they did um, is that the present study, so this study that he did, examined the effects of ultrasound waves on neuron position within the embryonic uh, cerebral cortex in mice. We used a single uh, BRDU injection to label the neurons generated at embryonic day 16 and designated, uh, uh, and designated for the superficial cortical layers. Our analysis of over 335 animals reveals that when exposed to ultrasound waves for a total of 30 minutes or longer during the, pre during the period of their migration, a small but statistically significant number of neurons fail to acquire to the proper position and remain scattered in inappropriate cortical layers. That sounds important. Or subjacent white matter. What? I said that sounds important. It sounds important. So basically what they're saying is that the neurons fail to migrate. They call it neuronal migration, failure of neuronal migration um, to the proper layer. Now, this is where I'm getting a little bit on skinny branches with that, but when we look at certain types of autism, what we see is that in certain types of autism, there are children where the neurons fail to migrate to the proper cortical layer. And that's why their brains work differently. 
Now, does this mean ultrasound causes autism? I, I have no idea. And I think in a hundred years, we'll, uh, we'll know a lot more, but it is something that we need to think about and at least understand that we're altering brain development when we do ultrasounds. And so other various adverse effects that we've seen from the different research is there is an association between prenatal ultrasound exposure and delayed speech. That has been well documented, or that's well documented from Dr. Campbell. Um, the other one was more exposed, more exposed children tested positive for dyslexia than children who had not been exposed to prenatal ultrasound. This one was kind of funny, um, sort of, um, but you have to understand neuroanatomy with this one because it's like, what? I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, but ultrasound exposure in fetal life increases the risk, risk of left-handedness in men, suggesting that prenatal ultrasound affects the fetal brain. Um, the, the one by Aang, when mice were given injections to label neurons designed for superficial cortical layers, the mice um, were exposed to a total of 30 minutes or longer. Um, there was a small but statistically significant number of neurons that failed to acquire to the proper position and remained scattered in the inappropriate cortical layer or subjacent white matter. Um, so there's definitely brain changes that we're seeing as well. We have pretty hard to do these studies because it's so hard to find a comparable amount of people who didn't have any ultrasound. I mean, exactly. it was like in the nineties. And again, cause we're, we're including Doppler, you know, or right. like even when they do studies, would it include those things or would it just right. ultrasound? Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh -huh. right. So it's getting more and more difficult because that number of people is going down. Now with mice, we can use that because, you know, I mean, this mice are ones that they use for medical testing all of the time for different things. Um, mm -hmm. And their life is a lot shorter and their gestational periods are a lot shorter. So we yes, can get faster. Generation yeah, faster, exactly. Yeah. A lot faster. Oh my God. Um, so many more things I want to talk about. I know we're like getting close on time. Is there like, like if, if we ended now, what, what is, is there anything else that you kind of want to convey to people listening? Um, and, and maybe we need to do a, uh, ultrasound season two. Or something. <laughs> <Part> two. <laughs> I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think also the biggest... listening, if you have specific questions, that would be really good. Uh, Cause maybe yeah. follow up. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to go through those. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we, we live in a society where ultrasound is the kind of gold standard, um, in, in obstetrical care. And I don't believe that people who are suggesting, you know, routine prenatal ultrasounds, I don't believe that they're, um, malintent or, um, or, you know, evil, or, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think that we, you know, as, as Dr. Toms said, that we operate on a Titanic mentality that safety is assured, therefore precautions are unnecessary. Oh, we don't need to do it. We've been doing ultrasounds for 40 years. And it's like, yeah, but you look at the autism rates and how those have spiked, look at the miscarriage rates, look at the, you know, I think there's so much more to it than, than, people actually understand. And most of the ultrasound um, studies are outside of the United States. And I can't help but think that that has to do with money and funding and, and all of that. But at the root of it, I don't think that medical doctors or midwives or, you know, people who are pro ultrasound or wanting to understand the information are, are bad or wrong. I just think that they might not be current on what the research is saying. Um, or having the understanding that it doesn't necessarily, just because we've been doing it for so long, doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. It almost feels like Russian relay because it's not like you get an ultrasound and your baby's born without arms. It's not this like clear, right. you know, it's like, well, I know lots of people who had lots of ultrasounds and their babies are quote unquote fine. And, you know, right. so it's, yeah, it can totally. be yeah. yeah, it's the inability to question um, 
what you, you know, what you've been doing for years and years and not want to face right. that potential. But yeah, if you look at us as a population, you've got yeah. things going on that aren't great. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, I'm not like a conspiracy person, mm-hmm. you know, but um, yeah. it's hard. It's hard not to like even question it. And, you know, right. I have people, uh, women who reach out about whether like ginger tea is okay to drink. Right. There are sources that say you shouldn't drink it in pregnancy or you should avoid ginger. So okay. people that are afraid to drink ginger tea are getting but won't even blink at the right but are potentially getting three four five whatever ultrasounds not usually home birth clients but like when i was a doula all of that stuff and it's just so shocking Mm -hmm. you know it's just really yeah there's that yeah jen i want to talk to you forever (laughs) (laughs) well that's why you just got a membership that's why i'm gonna come in i'll be like but let's talk let's talk let's chat (laughs) Uh, well thank you so much for coming on again and clearly we will have you back (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thank you so much and um yeah cool have a good day thanks everybody for listening you can find us at born wild podcast on instagram For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A. Sophia at sophiabirth.com. And me, Leah, at Bay Area Home Birth. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always... Stay wild.